Here's a quote for you. Gaming is the new living room, mall, and arena. More on that after the intro music. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of the Campaign Mode podcast, a post-Thanksgiving episode. We didn't have one last week because who releases a podcast on Thanksgiving week? Not this guy. Um, anyway, I'm glad to have you back. It's good to see you. We have a great guest today in the form of Mr. Matt Ma. Matt, among other things, he's a futurist and a general innovation expert, but he's also the founder of M7 Innovations. Um, he has guided various Fortune 100 companies through this ever-changing media and tech landscape. He's an expert in the areas of virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, internet of things, and of course, gaming, which is why we have him on today. So, Great conversation with Matt Ma, and uh, I'm super grateful for him coming on. We got into the weeds on various different um, uh, topics, and uh, the conversation was a good one. It's a pretty long one, too, so you're definitely getting your money's worth on today's episode. So, as I said, we'll dive into why gaming is the new living room, mall, and arena. You'll find that within the conversation. And I suppose that means I should hand over to said conversation at this point. I'll be back at the end for some more chit-chat housekeeping stuff. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Ma. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Matt Ma. Matt, thanks for joining us, bud. So listen, uh, I know you're an avid listener to the Campaign Mode podcast, right? As as everybody is, you know, uh, he says firmly tongue-in-cheek. But what I do at the beginning of each of these... Um, is just I just literally hang out, sort of hand over to our guests because I do an intro, of course, but it's just so much more interesting coming from the person themselves. So can you give us the uh, Matt Ma Inside Baseball? Tell us about your journey so far, mate. Let's do it. Well, it is a gaming podcast, so I might as well give that journey uh, as a gaming quest and give you the levels and the careers where I've hit game over love um, and needed some extra lives. So, <laughs> love it. so level one, I guess, of a university. I, I was a marketing comms major, and when I came out, um, I actually you know, went to school on a, on a baseball scholarship. Um, and no, no tongue in cheek, you said inside baseball. And I'm like, oh, he's just setting me up pretty well, isn't he? Yes. Um, but I, I signed a contract. I moved out to Indiana to play professional baseball, and that lasted about a month, uh, and that was game over. So I retired there, uh, needed an extra life, and decided to go into to music more. I had a band, and um, ironically, there are one small bit of success was getting on um, Xbox 360's Rock Band Network. Um, no but way. after, yes, but you know, small successes. And after a year or two, uh, I hit another game over. And this was a Nintendo game. You only get three lives. So luckily, I'm, I'm on the third life uh, and it's still going well. So when I was um, pursuing music, I was also at this, this, this great um, athletic baseball like startup. They were trying to move digital. It was 20, it was actually 2009. YouTube was a few years old. And I really saw an opportunity to kind of make, you know, those kind of type tutorial videos before they kind of got popular. So because I had played the sport, I could act in them. I could also film and produce because I had cut my teeth doing some some film stuff. Um, so we just made them um, in instructional videos and they went from, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 hits a day to a few million. Um, and it was great success. No paid media behind it or anything. And that got the attention of Interpublic Group uh, Initiative, the media agency. And they kind of said, hey, Matt, you want to come over and you know, help us out with social with some of our clients and help out with, you know, creating some kind of bespoke content. So I headed over there, helped out with some really great clients, you know, the Kias, the Miller Coors, the Charles Schwab's of the world. Um, but what I found is even though I was creating content for social, I was really all about the cutting edge, right? How could I make like a game on Vine or how could I do 
uh, multiple Pinterest posts that you know speak to one another. I was trying to push the limits of these platforms, and it made me realize tech was kind of where I wanted to be. So I headed over to Media Assembly um, and became the VP of Innovation over there. Uh, and that opened my aperture. I worked with 20th Century Fox and E-Trade and Boring or Ingelheim, and it was just bringing them new solutions. Um, and then what I slowly started to realize that as the more I talked about voice and augmented reality and virtual reality and subsets of artificial intelligence, that they were their own immersive mediums. And it, it didn't make much sense to say, hey, chop off 2% of your media spend and try this Snap AR lens. Like I, I saw that they could actually be really functional marketing tools. So in 2019, I, I spun off and created my own, you know, I call it a tech innovation consultancy, M7 Innovations, where I specialize in, in voice and in AR and VR and emerging platforms and gaming um, and, and some subsets of artificial intelligence. And um, it's been wonderful. So I work with some fantastic clients across different categories. There's Panera Bread and the Fast Casual. There's Bolay and Retail. Um, I work with Chanel. I work with uh, Enterprise Construction, with Suffolk Construction. So uh, I'm across the gamut, but I'm tied together by these technologies. So that's what I do now. It's, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, and it's really exciting. So let's, I, I have to rewind to the beginning of that. Uh, although it isn't the focus of the podcast, I think our listeners would want to know a little bit more about the baseball thing all right like so so being english this is this is fascinates me because to me it's like the american dream you went on to mm. go to school to play a sport you loved um what 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 happened you just realized that you know the competitive nature of that wasn't going to be for you or you got injured or like what, what's the deal in, let me tell you, injury is a cop out. Anyone who tells you it was just because, you know, the sore shoulder, the bum knee, yeah. they just couldn't make it. That's how it, <laughs> but no, I, mine was not an injury. I, you know, I just realized I, I had a lot of success uh, in college. I went to Fairleigh Dickinson. It was a division one school, uh, got a bunch of accolades and, and had a, a, an amazing career enough to sign the professional contract. Um, and from that point, I, I saw the level um, that I was right. going up against. And the, the fascinating thing about baseball, unlike any other American sport, uh, like the NFA or uh, NFL or NBA, you know, you have about seven levels of what they call the farm system before you get to, quote, the show. Um, and I saw the struggles I had just in the beginning of that farm system. And it's a very lonely sport. It doesn't pay you well. Um, and yeah, I gave him my best shot, so there's no shame in it. So I, I'll take the the wonderful college success and say, hey, you know, at 22, this is a good time to start a career. There were opportunities to sign other contracts at the time, but I thought, you know what, this will be a long, painful battle going through it. And I did what I wanted to do. So it was time to, you know, get the extra life and move on. Good for you, man. I love that. Thank you for that. So um, let's let's come back up to present day and talk about M7 for a sec. So as a consultancy um uh, and working with some of the big brands you mentioned, where does your relationship with them begin and end? Is it is it open ended on both ends, or you know, how wh where do you come into the process as it relates to the development of a you know some brand work, for example? That's fair. So I, I do essentially three things, and and the clients will engage me for one, two, or all three of those. So the first is thought leadership. It's it's teaching about technologies, teaching about emerging media platforms or trends like gaming. The second is idea generation. So then it's not only educating but taking one of those technologies, one of those ideas, and then crafting or mocking up a prototype to say, here's what an Alexa skill would look like for you. Here's what an AR lens would look like. Uh, and then once they fully understand that and then see how they could taste, touch, and feel and play in that space, then they need to execute. And we're in a world now where a lot of brands say, who's going to do this? Is it my creative agency, my media agency, my search agency, my digital agency? Should I do it in-house? So I'm kind of that connective fiber that says, I'll be your creative director over all this. I'll be the connective fiber that puts all the pieces together, but I can also bring it to market. Um, so clients like a Panera or Brolet, they use me for all three. So we can go from a concept 
of teaching about a technology all the way to an in-market execution in a month, two months, six months, whatever it is. Yeah. So those, uh, those three offerings are basically how clients can engage me. Some do all three. Some just need thought leadership. Some just need execution. That's kind of where I live. That's amazing. I saw you, um, you guys got some sort of accolade this year in terms of emerging agency of the year or something like that. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we, we've uh, we've had a good year. I mean, it, when we were at Assembly in 2018, we got we got uh, Ad Age Agency there, which is amazing. Now here with M7, um, yeah, we've gotten some great press. We've done this recent campaign with Bolay with this amazing try on and try out. This virtual being able to not put on a communal piece of glasses, so you could actually do this through AR and then actually test out their lens technology by superimposing the glasses on a phone through an Instagram lens, um, which hit big. And same thing with Panera, we had a couple successful lenses. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of the media and advertising now likes to reward, you know, kind of thinking that's outside the box. And I know that's such a cliche, but what technology really offers and what I've been able to do is try to push some of these texts to the limit uh, and see what these clients can kind of pull off. So yeah, we've had a good year so far doing some really fun things, whether it's flying drones or making AR or bringing voice to a job site. Um, I don't feel like I work, right? So I, I'm not actually working. I'm just kind of having fun. Which yeah, is exciting. Con massive congrats on that. That isn't easy. I think coming from... Um, the uh, you know ad industry world. One of the things I recognise is that a lot of the time, agencies and brands will talk about innovation and then shy away mm -hmm. from it uh, as it gets to sort of crunch time. So I think having you, you know people like you out there, businesses like your business out there, helping push them across the line helps all boat, boats rise. And I appreciate that. And it's actually um, to some extent where the podcast, this podcast idea came from, which was you know my background is also innovation, and I recognise gaming. Uh, as a gamer, but also as a, um, you know, a businessman from that side, being something that wasn't being fully, not even fully, but not even close to fully uh, realized <laughs> and harnessed. And, um, uh, and so I wanted to talk about it more. And that's why um, when, when you and I started chatting, I was so thrilled to have you come on and talk about, uh, you know, your side of that equation. And, and as we think about your side of the equation, so as we think about this intersection that we talk about here, which is the, the intersection of gaming and marketing, how are you... Uh, how are you or you and M7, your company, experiencing that sort of intersection professionally? Are you seeing brands talking about it? Are you spending time talking to brands about gaming and the gaming landscape? Yes. Uh, yes, I have. And I can even go to the past because through initiative and assembly to where it is today, there's been such a organic evolution of how gaming has changed. So we were back at initiative. Carl's Jr. was a, a client. And when Vice was launching Waypoint, which is no, now Vice Games, it's no longer, um, they were doing a 72 hour games and 72 games in 72 hours, like a live stream. Um, and I remember Carl's Jr. We were doing like live ad reads, kind of like a radio spot, but live with video, which was really interesting. And this was kind of when streaming became a big thing. It's not just about gaming, it's about streaming. And then over at assembly and i cannot take credit for this campaign because it's so genius um uh, but this cat mageddon campaign on twitch which was just so smart it came from the insight that if you smoke secondhand smoke uh creates the risk of 2x for your cat to develop cancer so we did a there was a live stream where we had a bunch of adorable kittens running around and every time the camera cut away they took a kitten away just to remind you that your cat might die if you smoke um and I loved that one because it was gaming because we positioned it as streaming on Twitch. But the reality was it was just leaning into the behavior that people go to Twitch to actually watch streams. Now at M7, we've really opened up the aperture of talking about gaming. And I think that's what you and I will get into, that it's no longer about just the Twitch campaign or just the sponsorship in Madden or just, you know, sponsoring a certain esports team. It's an entire different community, audience, behaviors. Um, and we talk about it holistically, almost as if its own 
it's its own medium that we have to go into. And it's not just this one little bolt on of gamers. So the, the driving force behind um, this evolution, you know, the, the, the new paradigm in gaming as it relates mm -hmm. to both popularity, um, access, uh, we'll talk about this a bit later, but you know, time spent, and there's mm -hmm. a question mark around that, but it's driven by, um, a large part of it is driven by the newest generation coming through. Now we, we can talk about the other, the other end of the spectrum generationally in terms of, you know, highest up, uptick in terms of gaming, uh, gaming activity, but what are your thoughts on, and how does, how do you and your company think about, um, this new generation coming through? How does this new paradigm fit within how you consult with brands? Yeah, sure. So I actually, it bifurcates for me. I think of it in terms of two ways, the behaviors of the next generation when it comes to gaming and then how they view advertising. Because those are two very different things. And the way we yeah. call advertising is very different for them. So what I preach to my clients, and I've recently had a couple gaming 101 presentations to my clients, um, is first the behaviors. And I like to call it, gaming is the new malls, living rooms, and arenas of our world, the digital malls, living rooms, and arenas. And what I mean by that, Let's start with the living room. Um, you know, you squat up, you go with your two or three friends, and then you hop into a Fortnite game or Call of Duty. You're interacting. It's like you're in each other's living room. And I, I date myself, but going back to the Super Nintendo days or playing N64 and Mario Party with my best friends, we always love to just be together to play a game and experience that. So human behavior hasn't changed. It's just happening online now. So there's the digital living room. Then there's the digital mall. When you think of Fortnite or Call of Duty, when you're dropping in 100 people at one point and you can interact with those other people, you're meeting new people. They almost become like the new digital malls where you can make new friends or you know meet somebody. And then the digital arenas, and I'll talk about it after, but when you think of the Marshmallow concert, the, uh, the Travis Scott concert in Fortnite, when you have tens of millions of people, appointment viewing, coming to all experience something at the same time, that is like a digital arena where you're all having the same experience, but you're all in your respective spots. So that's how I think the next generation views gaming. It is a community where they can hang out. And then the second piece is the advertising. And Gamers, which I know is a balloon term and we'll dissect it, but anyone who games, they're very smart. They're digital savvy. And if they sniff out your advertising, they're not just going to avoid you like a commercial. They're going to bury you. And I think the, the best example was um, UFC 4, the, the electronic arts game. Um, they had this little flash frame. It was a half a second ad where they were promoting um, the boys from Amazon Prime. Uh, and the Reddit army went after them. They were livid. They spent $60 on this downloadable content. It's disgusting. They're putting ads in front of their face. And I mean, it was nuclear for EA. They had to come out and Reddit. They had to make public. Um, they had to just basically say, we're so sorry. We're going to eliminate that right now. We didn't mean to upset you. Now that's a, a myopic view, but gamers are smart. And if you just try to stop what they're trying to do to put an ad in front of them, they're not going to avoid it. They're going to hate you. So I think you have to be very, very smart, very authentic, uh, and if not, you run the risk of really upsetting them. So in conversations I've had both on this podcast and privately with uh, friends and uh, sort of associates that work for some of the big game platforms, the biggest game platforms, um, oftentimes the conversation has been around the uh, reluctance they have to work with brands. And it's driven by a few things. It's driven by, to your point, um, not wanting to turn off their player their, you know, their, their audience. Um, but it's also driven by the fact that their revenue models are based on multiple tiers, right? They're not just based necessarily on um, an advertising model. They're not beholden to advertisers quite like the social platforms were and still are. 
Um, and I think about a platform like, you know, a subscription platform or, or a, um, in-game purchase platform like a Fortnite. Yeah, you know, I'm sure they'd like to grow their bottom line, but they will not do it at the expense of the game and at the expense of the player. So when you think about that and you build to build on your point around the UFC game, which is a great example, why do you think um, brands are still not embracing gaming, I think, as fervently as they should and or as fervently as they did, you know, if we rewind 15 years, social media? Mm. I, I think it's a really smart question, but it, in some ways it, it seems obvious in that social media is, is pretty basic to grasp. The understanding, the concept of, okay, it's a, it's a platform where people can post their thoughts, they can post photos, and as a brand, um, I can insert my content to be native to what that platform's content is, and it's all going to work out because they're used to seeing advertising. And gaming is just so much more amorphous, right? When we say gamers, I mean, the stat right now is there's 2.7 billion people who physically play games who identify as gamers and when you're you know 2.57 billion out of the 7.5 billion in the world you know 36 percent of the world can't be just called gamers right and then there's the passive piece of it right people who love to watch gaming and now we're seeing there's been over 12 billion hours watched just this year and the year's not over yet so when you think of what gaming actually is like who are you going after are you going to go after the players do you want to go after the, the passive watchers who are just enjoying it um which community which game because every single game in and of itself is its own ecosystem and then when you think of interoperability you play among us on your phone while you're playing against someone uh, on playstation and it's streaming to twitch and there's also on TikTok live so like where would that brand even play in that space when they're like well we've allocated a lot of money to TikTok because we think it's hot, but how does that intersect with all these other pieces? Um, and I think what gaming used to be for marketers, it, it was easy, right? It was the simple Madden integration or just a Twitch sponsorship or just, you know, okay, League of Legends is having a championship. Can I put my name in the hat like it's the Olympics? But now it's getting to the point of looking at each gaming community as its own silo and saying, where does my brand fit in? Maybe I fit in in an Animal Crossing, a casual game, but I should stay far away from Call of Duty or UFC. So it actually just takes a lot more of a deeper dive in understanding what gaming is and where it's going to go to even want to play in that space. Because if you don't fully understand it, you're just most likely going to take a bet on the hottest card, which will be a Fortnite or an Animal Crossing, and try to catch the wave of popularity. And most times you'll fall flat if you go that route. I've been, I, I, we've had conversations recently on this uh, podcast regarding gamers, I'm sorry, um, brands working more regularly with independent gamers. And I think there's a massive opportunity there as you think about indie developers um, mm. creating experiences that are increasingly popular. Now, it's a long tail approach perhaps, but there's also more opportunity for brands to be active members in the development of gaming elements. And I, I think there's a lot to be said. Um, there's a lot to be said for that. The other thing that strikes me um, about the sort of social media element of this is social came out in its earliest days with this banner uh, sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's its first impression headline was, well, we've got the data, right? We can mm, tell you, yeah. you know, who your people are, where they are, whether or not they, you know, sausages and what phones they use and, uh, you know, <laughs> what time they go to the bathroom. So, so what, and that was easy for us as marketers to some extent to, and it's probably a whole other podcast conversation around where the world's gone in relation to that, a la social dilemma. But um, that was something we could wrap our heads around. And I, what I see is a bit to your point when you think about the bifurcation of a gaming experience across, you know, where do I watch it? Where do I engage with it? What is my community? 
Um, I can understand the levels of complexity as it relates to that. Just just to go back to what you guys do at M7, do you, when you think about breaking gaming out and, and you know, talking about some of the large clients you've done these one-on-ones with, um, do you approach it or do you think you'll build into approaching it as a separate entity or do you uh, very much still include it in conversation with a broader marketing mix? Generally with a broader marketing mix. And I also, it's all dependent on the client and what, you know, what are their current campaigns doing, right? There, there's sometimes an intersection point where if you're pushing a certain product, does that have a parallel path that could live in gaming? But then there's also the brand's voice and that's a huge piece of it. So does your voice fit in one of these communities? So it's, it's a very layered conversation. If, if there's a lot of energy, money, and effort going towards like a single product, whether it's retail or menu item, if it's a QSR um, or any big campaign, you, we can see as you know part of a marketing tactic, does it fit in with gaming? But again, I don't view it as a one-off, right? And the same thing we're seeing across with, with voice and augmented reality. It's not like the the one-off little bolt-on, right? You have to look at it holistically. And I try to continually zoom out because every brand now does have like the voice. They have how how they present themselves on social in the digital world. Um, so it's 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 constantly going back to it. And that's what I try to remember too. It's not a checkbox to say, great, I did AR, I did gaming, I did voice, and you move on. It's it's a constant iterative process where you're you're constantly learning and that's how I kind of approach it at M7. The more I think about it and I think about it potentially from a couple sides but as we as the gaming environment progresses um, and continues to establish itself as a as one of or the central player as it relates to communications um, it, it may be that gamers game platforms game developers publishers etc uh, might need to take a bigger stake in the uh, the way they think about working with advertisers. So I'll give you an analog to that. You know, a few years ago, maybe a decade ago now, um, Facebook as a major social platform really put the pedal to the metal as it related to developing their own creative internal teams uh, and creative and media teams internally to work as a bridge to those creative agencies, right? I'm sure you did yeah, it in the media yeah. world. We did it in the creative agency world of, um, you know, having those internal teams that you'd work with to almost translate uh, brands to the platform work with you to do that. I don't know how aware brands are of how much, how hands-on some of the social platforms are as it relates to working with agencies. But it, I feel like the, the um, I think the, the industry has got so large now for gaming that it might be incumbent on them to start to develop that sort of thinking. I know some of the biggest platforms do, um, but there's an opportunity there for them to shepherd how brands live and not just leave it up potentially to the agencies. Um, that's just a sort of throwaway freebie for all of our brand folks listening. Um, uh, but it just dawned on me that they I don't think they've done that enough yet because it isn't their core business. Their core business is entertainment and gaming. It isn't necessarily uh, media and ads, which social, uh, I would argue, was, honestly. So let's get to the heart of some of this creative stuff. What what's, it, what's impressing you recently, both from a brand or a gaming point of view? Has anything stood out to you in the last few months? Yeah, there's two or three, and some date back even a year or so, but I thought they were so impactful, just, just to mention, just really smart executions. Um, the first one I mentioned before, the Travis Scott concert, but uh, what I think is special about it, not just, yes, twelve point getting 12.3 million people to watch a 10-minute concert at the same time, not in prime time, is a pretty impressive feat. But what I thought was really special about it is if you look at what that concert did, it messed with the, the physics of Fortnite, so you could jump and lose gravity, they had cutscenes. he goes underwater and now you're swimming. So it really was an actual experience. It wasn't a passive experience. You were, you were experiencing and being active and participating. And at the same time at that concert, 
They launched an online store. So everything that happened during that concert, there was a physical manifestation that you could buy. And as you probably guessed, the store sold out within an hour. I thought it was a really smart way of mixing the digital and physical. On a smaller scale, I'll stay on Fortnite. Wendy's, I, I thought, did something really smart when they realized in the game there were freezers and you know their brand voice, their motto is that no frozen beef. So they were pushing Twitch live streams of, hey, let's get squads in here just and destroy all the freezers. They, they went on the food fight, um, which was like the subgenre game that Fortnite was doing. And it, they just made it this fun game of how many freezers could you destroy because no one should have to suffer frozen beef. So again, a really just simple, smart insight because they leaned into something that the game actually had. Do you know how much and I hated that when it came out? And I mean that positively. <laughs> working, working. You'll probably appreciate this, but working at a you know big big ad agency, when you see other people do great ideas, firstly you're you know impressed and you think wow, you know. But the second thought is always, God damn it, I wish I'd had so that mad. idea. So it's smart, especially when they're so smart. straightforward. Yes. God, anyway, anyway, sorry, buddy, I interrupted you. No, I think, no, again, because again, you look at the numbers, right? I think uh, the numbers on that one were modest, but they, you know, they got, you know, like 200% increase in social mentions, a million minutes watched. It's nothing compared to Travis Scott, but it's just so brilliant. It, it, for their audience, it just hit the nail on the head. Yeah, the ROI and, and as well, substantial. Uh, yes. So then I go to the third one, which is Gatorade. What they did for the US Open on the Snap ad, they basically recreated Serena Williams's 22 championships in a playable Snap ad. So this is light HTML5. I mean, you can progress through all 22 levels. It gets harder as you play. So there's an engagement factor. It's paying tribute to every one of the grand slams that she won. And it's all living in a Snap ad. I mean, so it's brands get nervous. Do we make a game? Because obviously the, the landscape is so broad and we have amazing game developers that, you know, they cut their teeth making amazing games. Who is a brand to think they can make a game, but this one was just really simple. It was casual and just smart. And it kind of hit off on every one. So I'd flip it to you because there's so many, what have you seen that you, that you've been impressed by? The one that, I mean, I, yeah, the, I think marshmallow, but I, the Travis Scott one mm. to me, and it's still, comes up on most shows right now because of how it felt like a real tipping point in terms of engagement. I remember being in it live. Uh, it just felt, um, and also, you know, remembering it dropped during a pandemic, but, but still yeah. it felt um, just different and unique. And Travis Scott's an extremely unique guy. And the way he works with brands is never, I mean, all, at the scale he does it has almost never been done before. Um, so that's one that stood out to me as just a high watermark. It's tough because if you're, you know, if you're a CPG brand, you know, or, or a electronics goods brand or, a you know, a, a fast serve restaurant almost, it's really hard to have a have an impact like Travis Scott has. So it's difficult and it's a bit unfair. It's not apples to apples as it relates to brands, but that was a powerful one. Yeah, the, the Wendy's thing from a year or so ago, um, drove me nuts. I love some of the brand <laughs> activations on Animal Crossing. I think that's yeah. I think that's been super cool. But what I what's most compelling about the question and your answers were were spot on was is candidly that if you ask me with my ad agency hat on what what brands have done great work recently, the list is, you know, 10 every week. When it comes yeah. to when it comes to genuinely standout activity in the gaming space, in the broadest sense of the gaming space, um, the list is really short, which means to me it's massive white space, massive opportunity. Um, uh, crikey, let's let's think. You think about um, uh, 
Kamala, what Kamala Harris did, right? Um, I'm sorry, uh, not Kamala Harris, uh, AOC, right? Um, um, among Us, the Among Us stream. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, brilliant. And not a gamer necessarily, but somebody said to her, listen, there's a, this is a powerful audience. It's a powerful way of engaging with them. It's a standout opportunity. It's white space. Let's get involved. She was just, I thought, natural, uh, you know, didn't seem like she was being forced or pretending to be anything she wasn't. So that I, it strikes me as opportunity, a, a, an abundance of opportunity. It's such a, it's such a big white space for brands, not all brands, but a lot of brands to do it really right. And I don't think they're doing it, you know, all that right right now. And I think it presents big opportunities for companies like yourselves to go in and help them develop ideas from the very beginning stages, the genesis of some games for them to be involved in, um, you know, activating their brand. It does bring me on to my, the, the, my next question, which is a, it's the flip side of the, all of this. And it's something we haven't really discussed and dived into much in the podcast yet, but I'd love your opinion because you have a gaming, you have gaming expertise, but also you have some AR, VR, um, you know, machine learning expertise, but let's talk about the negative side of this. Um, sure. There's a negative side of um, screen time generally, but certainly of uh, immersion in gaming, which, uh, and I'm not a naysayer, as you clearly not. I'm an advocate for it. Um, I, but I do see, I do see examples of um, uh, there being a detrimental effect, certainly on potentially younger audiences, as it relates to time spent. You know, you yes. look at you're seeing you're seeing kids spending twelve and fourteen hours, uh, you know, engaging in these games. What, what are you, how, how do you think about that? How do you uh, process th that side of this this equation? So I would say this is probably the most important piece to me just ethically and something that I care very much about. So I think we should definitely just double click on this and talk about it a little more. So you mentioned The Social Dilemma, which is a fantastic Netflix film that kind of talks about this smartphone addiction. Um, and I'm, I'll throw some stats at you. In, in America, at least in 2009, the average time spent for American on a smartphone was 19 minutes. Uh, 2019, it's three hours and 47 minutes. Right now in China, it's seven hours and two minutes a day. Um, so that, that's steady, steady growth. And what this social dilemma really focuses on are uh, these things called dark patterns, right? So it's carefully manipulating a, a user interface to trick users into performing you know, an action you want. And this, this has come to life in the real world outside of gaming. You think of Robinhood, the trading platform, you know, they gamify trading. And there's a terrible story of the 20-year-old who got in over his head and thought he was $700,000 in debt um, and he ended up committing suicide and blaming Robin Hood, and he didn't actually even owe that money. But when you gamify a platform for something serious like trading, that's what can happen. Uber has been um, a proponent of this. I mean, they have gamified what it's like to keep drivers driving by giving rewards and making them stay on the road. So this has really come to bear in the real world. But if you look at the core, all of these dark patterns all started with gaming. Um, and I think gamers are the ones that are most prone to these. So it's broken down really into four categories. There's, you know, monetary dark patterns, temporal, social, psychological. I personally think the monetary and psychological ones are um, the most harmful. And so in my mind, so what's a monetary dark pattern? You think of, you know, paying to skip a level, right? If you get a little, give some money, we'll let you get to the next level. If you think of premium cur premium currency. So if we give you give me real cash, I'll give you V-Bucks, I'll give you diamonds, and I'll mm. kind of hide how many things... What, what this really costs. And all of a sudden you have kids just pouring money because it doesn't feel real. And then psychological dark patterns can be even worse. The variable rewards, which we see in games all the time. This is back from 50 years ago with slot machines. It's you win five, you win five, you win 500, you win five, you win five. It keeps you pulling the lever because you just don't know when you're going to hit big again. Um, and then there's the invested endowed 
value. And that's where they make you feel Call of Duty prestige, um, experience, leveling up. Uh, the game itself becomes more valuable the more you play it, the more you can never let go of it. Um, so there are dozens and dozens of these dark patterns. They've all started with gaming, and we see them start to permeate out into social and all these other, other digital touch points. So I think it's it's something that, like the social dilemma, the more people are aware that they're being manipulated, the more that it kind of you know breaks the fourth wall and makes them realize, okay, maybe I don't want to play this game, or maybe I'm not going to give into this. Um, but I think it's something you know very serious. And I'd, I'd ask you, like, it's hard, but can you think of like you know? a dark pattern that hit you or a game that you kept playing because I'm sure I can come up with about 50. Yeah, yeah listen, I, I can tell you one from the other night. So um, a couple of things that dawned on me as I was thinking about this and sort of thinking about it as a question for today. Um, I can't remember, my wife and I were watching something on, I think Amazon. Oh, I'll tell you what we were watching. We were watching that Red Oaks show, which is like a sort of throwback 80s country club comedy mm. thing. It, kind of funny. Um, but... It's just easy, consumable, 25-minute episodes, and you just sit there, and, of course, Amazon, like Netflix, uh, reloads the next show for you, and it keeps on going. <laughs> and we're sitting there, not talking, just, I mean, you know, after a long day, fair enough, you're relaxing. But at one point, Amazon throws up that interstitial screen, which says, are you still watching? Are you still there? Because, Are you even here, Dan? Yeah, Are you <laughs> no one's interacted with anything. We've just kept showing you that. We probably got through five of the bloody things. We've just kept showing you the shows. Are you, you okay? I'm like, oh, wow, that's a weird moment. Suddenly, you know, coded into this thing, is a, into its algorithm, is just for a second for you to check that there's still a human watching this. <laughs> right? So, so that, that strikes me as a moment in time where you're aware of your beholden, uh, or you're aware how beholden you are to these algorithms and these formulas. The other, the other moment I've had recently, I was chat listening to um, uh, the next closest rival to this podcast, which is Joe Rogan's podcast, um, and <laughs> very well put. Very yeah, well put. right, exactly. And he had a guy called Adam Alter on there, who's a professor of marketing at NYU at Stern, I think. Uh, brilliant dude. Um, and they were talking about the uh, addictive qualities of gaming, gamification, as you so wisely broke it down. Uh, and they were re referencing. Um, yeah, this isn't a, anything new, and certainly from from a slot machine thing, it's been around a long time. But they were talking about Flappy Bird, which is a game I'm sure you played an app. Uh, Probably of course, downloaded. Of course. Um, and, and they had a great. This guy uh, came up with an amazing fact, which was the game was so addictive and was so vastly popular. Uh, the developer, um, and this was a first for for a game developer, as I know at least, uh, deleted the game. He came out and he said, "It's just, it's not what I intended it to be. It's bec it's become far too pandemic-like, you know, without um, making light of that word." And he removed it. Um, and I remember that happening, and I remember playing it and thinking I could understand why it was so addictive. But the byproduct of that, um, if you want a funny little sort of soundbite for this, is that there are now iPhone 5s and 6s that still have the game on them that sell for thousands of dollars on eBay. Thousands of dollars. I believe there was one on there for $10,000 because it still had this game uh, on it. And that strikes me as... like. I, yeah, it's, it's mortifying that something can it's be the power of addiction. so yeah, addictive. I mean, I... Yeah, and so so what does it boil down to? To me, it boils down to the following, which is that gaming, entertainment through gaming, uh, is is inherently positive. I think it, it, you talk about monopoly through Fortnite, right? The experience of playing games, whether it's as a community or on your own, 
um, should be enjoyable and is enjoyable. And it's a, I think it's fertile, creative land for any brand. The mechanics of addiction and gamification or gamification leading to addiction, they're not the same thing. I think developing um, things that are deliberately nicotine-like, that's not yeah. good. That's not fair. That's built into systems. I see it affecting my kids and, you know, my kids, you know, they play their iPads on weekends. They're only young. They get certain downloadable games, whatever, you know, but they come to me constantly because they need to pay however many dollars for, like you said, <laughs> their next upgrade for their next, whatever it is, robot. Not digital cool. allowance, digital allowance. It's Dan. not, yeah, digital allowance. I mean, it, it, so now you talk about screen time, you talk about, like you said, currency availability to them. That's a whole different paradigm that uh, is interesting to watch, but it's fraught with uh, missteps, I think. And I'll just say, to clear the air with gaming too, I mean, I grew up in the world where it's like, you know, don't play Doom, don't play these games, because if you see any killing in a game, I'm obviously, I'm going to be prone to kill somebody because the violence is... You know, there was this whole crusade against games and all of a sudden you look at 2020 and we realize, well, that, that didn't come true, but what did come true was weaponizing social media and seeing teen suicide rates jump from yeah. 2007 to 2017 because we're making young girls feel terrible on Instagram and Facebook um, as they're going through middle school and high school. And, you know, the way the, the likes were, I mean, it took Instagram way too long to t put down likes. I mean, it, so gaming was vilified as, you know, the reason that there's violence and all these bad things and under our noses, the, the wonderful social media and internet uh, was actually what was literally killing young people. So I, I just think to your point, I mean, addiction comes in all forms, right? And gaming, I think is generally a positive. Uh, and even in these games like Fortnite, where the goal is the, the last man standing wins, like you have to kill everybody, but you see the good that comes out of the games, the community, the people that are supportive and love each other, um, and it's sometimes the things like social in the beginning, which seems so wonderful, the promise of just connecting to one another that actually can be the most deadly when when unregulated. So I just clearing the air for gaming on a little bit. I grew up with that taboo of gaming is just bad and going to mess up your brain. And I think um, it, it doesn't deserve, doesn't deserve that rap. It was an obvious one. It was an obvious one to go after. And you think about censorship, which I'm not necessarily an advocate for on any level, but you think about censorship when it comes to movies or or video games, it's just an obvious one to go after. And you're right, while yeah. those crusades were happening, the insidious nature of how social platforms developed their uh, you know, addictive qualities was allowed to flourish, continues mm -hmm. to flourish. They continue to not do enough about it. Um, and, and now you know, now that a light has been shone on that and that's starting to change. So just, just um, outside of our traditional uh, uh, subject matter here, if, when it comes to VR and AR, which is an area I love as well, but how 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 are you seeing that impacting uh, time spent? I'm a massive advocate of AR and VR as a technology. I think it's amazing when in the right hands, but how do you work with your brands as it relates to being sensitive about how that's used as well? Are there sensitivities around that? In terms of like the addictiveness of AR or VR, not, not yet. I mean, so let's start, let's break those apart, right? For virtual reality, it's still a very small footprint. Um, Oculus 2 from Facebook is probably the, the best hardware that exists now because it's tetherless. Uh, it's no longer tied to a PC. It's only $299 and it offers six DOF, so six degrees of freedom, meaning uh, you have both controllers and your physical body can move. It's a full immersive VR experience, but we have a long way for that to be, you know, Ready Player One, the book or the film where everyone's wearing VR and we're all in these virtual communities. So I think that's a conversation for probably five or 10 years down the road. Uh, AR, same thing. We're still in the smartphone AR era. Um, so while it is growing massively and it's 
very functional. As I said, for Bole, the try-on, try-out was amazing. With Chanel, we did a snow globe last year, which was this beautiful digital twin of an amazing product they make. Panera, we can recreate their food, and it's not CGI. It's photogrammetry, hundreds of high-definition photographs, and recreating a dish, it actually increases craveability. So AR is really functional, um, but when you're in the smartphone era, it's still going to get tied into just smartphone usage. I think in a year or so, when Apple inevitably releases their AR glasses, you know, that's when it's going to start to get interesting because when we start to live in this heads up world, you know, the, the positive is that we're going to not be looking down at our black mirrors all day. We're going to be heads up, but all that information is then going to be overlaid on our eyes, whether it's anchored as a heads up display or projected in front of us. Um, that's safer, I think, but at the same time, it comes with the problems we were talking about. Same things with social, right? How much information is too much? You know, I, I use the example of people who have Apple watches. I can't tell you how many times I'd be in a conversation, not in COVID times, but before, and I'd be talking to someone, looking them in the eye, and I could tell you the exact point when their wrist buzzed and they got a text message without knowing their wrist buzzed because I could just see the light go out of their eyes because I knew they knew they had to go to that notification. So I think with AR, once it's in a heads-up world, that's what we have to watch out for, how many notifications you let through your firewall and what's really important. But for now, VR and AR, I think, are just... Uh, an exciting technology if used right. So there's a progression of technology which is, you know, always marching forward. The the potential, uh, it feels like what's coming out of this conversation from a brand point of view is that there's a big potential for brands to help with the safety, the security, the education, um, the embracing of doing, uh, you know, being respectful for sort of humanity. Um, and I don't see them. I don't see many brands doing that yet. And I don't mean the gaming brands. I really mean opportunities for brands to come in and help with safety and security. I think there's a. I think for those brand folks listening, I think there's a big opportunity there for you too. Um, so let's let me. Uh, I realize that you know I, I I've already gobbled up a bunch of your time, but I I would love your perspective on um, the fact that yes, the world is topsy turvy right now for sure for a million reasons. I'm going to knock all the wood I can find around me to say that maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel as we look at um, get, you know, hopefully getting back to some normality next year. But what are you excited about as somebody as an expert in the um, you know, digital marketing space, the gaming space? What's exciting for you as we move into the future, even if it's just the immediate future next year? Yeah, so I mean, I think we we kicked off one with with I, I'm very bullish on on augmented reality. Um, so there's three things. So I'll, I'll start there again and just add one element to it. I, I do think we're going to hit this place where every physical part of the world will have a digital layer. We're seeing this, you know, the Snap camera, the Google Lens camera, where you can hold your phone up and and understand information as it takes in. I do think we're going to get to a point when you're at retail, whether it's scanning a QR code, tapping your phone for NFC, that every physical piece will have some type of digital experience. It could be informative. Um, it could be uh, entertainment. But I think we'll start to see that. And that excites me because now all of a sudden you're not only creating data points, but you're, you're merging the physical and digital worlds. Um, the second one would, would definitely be voice. I mean, voice has exploded. We're hundreds of millions of vocal assistants um, in the ecosystem right now. You know, billions of voice search is happening. It's upending traditional search. Um, I mean, even Google has said the future of search will be voice and visual, not text search. And they have a 92% uh, of all search volume. So that's a, a big statement. And the hearables market, it's going to hit 93 billion by 2026. So I think voice is, it's here and it's continually growing. I mean, even a gaming example I thought was pretty cool. Destiny 2 had that Alexa skill where your sidekick goes, you could talk through through Alexa. So to me, that's fascinating. It was a little clunky in the experience, but the ability of talking to Alexa and what you do 
and what you say is actually happening in game in real time is really fun. So I think use cases like that for voice will be really big. And then third, honestly, is gaming. And it's not, it's not just how it expands and all the different types of games. I, I think it's also the gamers themselves. And the one example I use is you have to start thinking of these top gamers um, as like the top athletes. And I know it's almost like tongue in cheek saying an esports athlete, but I, I use this example in terms of sporting events. If you look at 2019, you know, Tiger Woods won the Masters in Augusta, Maine. He won a $2 million purse. Uh, then Novak Djokovic won Wimbledon and won a $2.9 million church, um, purse. And then 13-year-old Kyle Deersdorf at Arthur Ashe Stadium a week before the U.S. Open won the Fortnite World Cup and won a $3 million purse. So what I try to explain to clients, too, is even though Kyle is 13 years old and doesn't have the physical prowess of a Novak Djokovic, to his audience, he is bigger than Novak Djokovic. He's bigger than Roger Federer, and you have to treat him as such because his audience is ravenous for him. So when you start to think of these gamers, they're rising up in culture in this always on digital world run, you know, he's more famous than what we would consider traditionally famous. So it's really understanding them as influencers and where you can sponsor them. I think we used to just think of a, let's sponsor a ninja or a Twitch stream, but thinking these as human beings that have amazing engaged audiences um, that also couples with just gaming and how big it has actually gotten. It's going to be interesting when we see the crossover um, of what you were talking about. So um, we have the gaming influ gamers influenced right now as it relates to celebrity. But I feel like there's an opportunity with AR and VR that the uh, the Djokovic's of the world, to use that example because it's such a good one, um, will eventually start behaving more like gamers as you start to be able to be in on court with them, as you start to mm. be able to be you know, body cam mounted, VR experience, seeing what it's like to be receiving the dolls, um, serves, you know, I, I want the, the thing with Booger or the thing with any of the Fortnite, any of the gaming guys is that not only can you watch them live in the stadium, you can also watch them live in their world, right? You can watch them live in the game they play and you can be part of it. And I think there's going to be an interesting cross back over as it relates to um, traditional sports stars or traditional celebrity in that sense. It's going to be quite compelling. You actually make a great point. And that's what I keep speaking to about Twitch. So Twitch wants to break out of just gaming. And now they have Twitch watch parties because they're sponsored by Amazon, right? So now mm. you can watch Amazon Prime content with a streamer who's kind of giving his fun point of view with a chat box the entire time. This goes, it dates me, but uh, it used to be a show called Mystery Science Theater 3000, which they watched old 40s films and they had three people just talking the whole time, making fun of it. And it was just hilariously fun. But that's where I think it goes. And to your point, you're right. It's like the Djokovic's of the world need to embrace gaming as much as the gamers of the world need to branch out and embrace streaming and that they're bigger than just gaming. We see this with 100 Thieves who started in gaming and now they have this whole content world around them. Um, and that's where it gets really tricky, right? Because now when you're hiring you know, Pugar, you're hiring 100 Thieves, they might just do a content piece. It might have nothing to do with gaming, even though they started in that world. So that mix I find really fascinating. So the good news for me as somebody with this podcast is that because of what's coming up next year, there's so, so much new, so much news um, that there's just always something exciting to talk about, which means there's always an opportunity to have my guests back. So I'd love it if early in the new year you'd come back and we, you and I can catch up and talk about what's coming up and what's happened over that period. So will you, will you come back and join us again somewhat early in the new year? I would be more than happy to. And I, I do have to, I wanted to ask you this. I'm putting you on the spot here, yeah. but you can tell a lot about a person. I need to know, Dan, what is your favorite video game of all time? If you have all to right. pick two, I understand. Okay. Favorite of all time. I'll give you two answers. One is favorite right <laughs> now is Fortnite. 
I am a, a secret 14-year-old, oh, right. but it's partly because <laughs> my nine-year-old just sort of a little bit, she's a little bit young still, but she loves to be able to play. I don't know whether this is this sounds cheesy, but she loves to be able to play as those cool, like powerful female characters in that show. She yeah. flicks through the locker, picks a gnarly character, um, and that's just a nice moment to spend 15 minutes or 20 minutes playing with her. But I, I, I really like it, and I, I will tell you the. The way they've built that game, the colors, the movement, the sound, the energy, I can see why it's so bloody popular. I'm a fan of that. But of all time, it would be a game that you might not be familiar with called Championship Manager, which is a... I do not. It's a, it's a soccer uh, manager simulator. Basically, you manage uh, uh, um, uh, your would-be soccer team. So I, as an Arsenal fan, I would always pick Arsenal, but you can pick a very low-level team. Imagine it's baseball, similar sort of thing. Okay, pick a AAA okay. team. Then you manage the roster, you manage how they play, their tactics, and it go. It simulates a season. Um, and honestly, mate, I got to tell you, it, it, this is back before we talked about addiction and gaming. I mean, this game's easily twenty-five years old. I would stay up all night playing Championship Manager. So, so I haven't played it for a while. I probably play FIFA more now than I play that. But Championship Manager, yeah, that's it, man. That was that was some that's, dark. I'm, dark I'm going to say this. This is why you're successful in the business world because to me that. That game sounds not even close to being fun. You can't even <laughs> you can't even play the actual game. No, you but don't. The fact that you put you don't so much play energy the game. shows that you love to manage and you know how to run a team. <laughs> you don't play the game. That's exactly right. Um, this has been awesome. So, so the idea of gaming as the new living room, the new mall, and the new arena, um, and then everything that goes under that, as so beautifully and eloquently explained and described by Matt Maher. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and we'll have you back in the next few weeks for sure. Thanks so much, Dan. You have a great end of the year. Thanks, buddy. Okay, Matt Ma, everybody. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Really appreciate it, mate. Great conversation. Um, he's another of our guests that we'll be having back on in the new year. Um, be great to have regular conversations with Matt because he's very much has his finger on the pulse of all things as they change. Um, so I really appreciated that. Now, uh, what, what do we have on the housekeeping front for you today? So let's see. Um, we should be back in the next couple of weeks uh, on the uh, regularly scheduled programming. We did miss Thanksgiving, as I mentioned. Um, but then leading up to the holidays, we'll probably miss that period too. But there'll be a couple more before the end of the year and before 2020 is in the rearview mirror. Thank God. Um, in the meantime... Uh, I suppose all I need to tell you is make sure you're uh, subscribing to these things so you can get fresh campaign modery in your playlist every week. Um, and uh, that's about it. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for being there. Thank you for sending in questions and suggestions for guests. They do not go unread, and we're looking into some of those guests as we speak. Um, but mostly, thanks for taking the time to listen. I definitely appreciate it. And until next time, uh, stay well, stay healthy, and I'll see you next week on the Campaign Mode Podcast. <laughs>